Could you open up to Luke chapter 6? Paul, Paul basically gave my sermon for me by saying, consider who we're serving. That's enough. That's great. Let's pray. We're done. No. <laughs> Too bad you have to suffer through. Let's, let's pray. Father, I do pray for uh, your... I just pray that your word will shine in our hearts. Thank you for uh, just the clear teaching that Paul just gave us. Thank you, God, for Jared's faithful faithfulness, especially leading us through worship, even the um, responsorial reading, which is it's attached to what we're going to talk about today. Um, my prayer, God, is very simple. I pray the word would be clear, and I pray the word would be embedded in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Yesterday, I was, uh, I was looking at some news, and my daughter was, uh, they talk about the Russian scandal, you know, about the Russian doping scandal in the International Olympics. It's a bad thing. The Russians aren't allowed in the Olympics this year. Olympics are facing a major crisis, because this summer in August is the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. The only problem is Rio de Janeiro is imploding. It's really doing bad. The Zika virus is threatening, even to such a degree that some athletes won't even, they don't want to go to Rio to compete. The water for the surfing and the sailing and the rowing, they say, has a super bacteria, and people who are already practicing over there are getting sick. And the, the, big, the big problem right now in Rio is they're out of money. They have no more money to sponsor the Olympics. I was reading an article that said if you want to be an athlete and you want air conditioning in your apartment, which it's supposed to get up to about 95 in Rio about that time. You have to pay for it yourself because they don't have any money. So it's imploding. Are they going to have the Olympics? Well, don't worry about it. 207 countries are still coming. They're planning to attend. Even Usain Bolt is training harder than ever before, the fastest man in the world. So don't worry about it. If you love the Olympics, the Summer Olympics, it's still a go. It's still going on. My question is, who are you going to root for? Who are you going to root for? Are you going to root for Kosovo? Kenya's going to root for Kosovo this year. You're going to root for Kenya. Maybe you're going to root for the team like I will, Kyrgyzstan. I can't even say it. Who are you going to root for? Of course you're going to root for the USA. The U.S. of A. Even though you probably don't know any athletes, we root for the USA because you got to be loyal. You have to be loyal. All, all growing up, my dad said, you got to be loyal. Do you remember the miracle back in 1980 on the ice? And Russia was playing the Americans early in the morning. You woke up early and rooted for America because you have to be loyal. That's kind of the theme to what I want to talk about. You need to be loyal to who you belong to. You just do. You need to be loyal to your spouse. Are you loyal to your spouse? By nature, you're loyal to your family. Paul just talked about being loyal to your church. We are, we are more than loyal to our job. Actually, they have said we now worship our job. And of course, we're loyal to our sports team. 
But the big question is, are you loyal to your Lord? That's a huge one. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We've been going through a three-part series called Discipleship. What it means to be a disciple. Two weeks ago we talked about being a disciple is living a new kind of life. It is. It's a brand new life. Last week we said being a disciple is having a new kind of love. A love that doesn't wait for attraction. It's a love that actually creates attraction. It's strange. We talked about that last week. But today we're going to talk about a new type, a new kind of Lord. I think we call Jesus Lord, but I don't think we know what we're talking about when we call him Lord. So we are going to reevaluate what we mean by Lord, and then accordingly, if this really is what Lord means, are we loyal to this type of Lord? So let's read, and you'll see what Jesus is saying, starting in Luke 6, 39 to 49. So this is the third part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it says, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye? When you yourself do not even see the log that's in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly be able to see to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the spring, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So here we have, really, Jesus is going to give us about five different metaphors to explain what a disciple looks like. But I believe the driving force is verse 46. I think that's the root of what he's saying. Because here a disciple is following this teacher, and his teacher is the Lord. And his point is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say. So what he's going to give are three metaphors, two that talk about what a person looks like when they don't do what he says, and one when you do do what he says. And he's, he's beginning in verse 39 
and he's talking to the disciples. And actually, if you go back to Matthew, it says, can a blind man lead a blind man? He says, basically, the Pharisees at that time were like blind men. And that's who, that's who the rabbis were, and they didn't even know the law. They thought they did, but they were leading people off a cliff. And so he says in verse 40, if you're a disciple, you need to be like your teacher. You're not above your teacher. You need to be like your teacher. And when you're like your teacher, that's when you start changing. And who's the teacher in this section? The Lord. That's the point. So if we are going to follow the Lord, we need to be loyal to him. And in my mind, it really begins, this issue of loyalty begins with what do we mean by Lord? What is meant by Lord? Because it's a word that, it's a really churchy word. We sing it in all our songs. It tumbles right off our tongue. And a lot of times, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Isn't that nice? What do we mean? Because I'm convinced, I'm, I really believe we as Americans don't have a clue. The definition is very simple. Here's the definition of Lord. The definition of Lord means master. Paul, you just said you can serve either money or God. Who's your master? As if who controls you? Who owns you? Who owns you? So it's master and owner. And our Lord, when we talk about our Lord, he is endowed with absolute authority. Absolute. He's sovereign, and he everything he surveys, he controls. Some verses of Scripture say that he is so sovereign, he knows the end from the beginning because he wrote the story. He's the author. He's the finisher. These, these are immense concepts, but I don't think we get it because we're, we're in a democratic republic that we, we just want to be independent. The, the first 13 colonies, one of their favorite slogans was, don't tread on me. Get off my back. I don't need a Lord. I don't need a sovereign. I don't need an absolute master because I'm the master of my own world. And it really has come to fruition in our political system. We just rip on politicians all the time. Actually, the Congress is the lowest regarded body to trust in the United States. The president's kind of close, too. So we don't really understand authority. I was thinking through who in our minds... Who do we treat as lords? I think there's two groups of people we treat as lords. Like our boss, kind of, but we really rip on our boss most of the time if they're bad bosses. I don't think we treat parents that well anymore. We used to. So I think who our lords are these days are our celebrities and sports stars. I can remember one time I was visiting my sister in Laguna Beach, California. And this is back in the 80s, and I was sitting at a restaurant, and up sitting next to me, and you guys are going to be so impressed, was Mel Gibson. Isn't that awesome? The Mel, it was before Mel Gibson lost his brain. It was incredible. I went back, I told my sister, and she goes, you mean the lethal weapon, Mel Gibson? Yeah. Some people mistook me for him, you know, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was, I'm kidding. 
They said, look, it's Mel Gibson and Jerry Lewis sitting together up at the... But isn't that so cool? Like, what? who cares? We care. I was... I came home from Russia, Ken, when, I, when my wife and I came home from Russia. We were sitting in a Dunkin' Donuts at an airport, and Jay Leno was ordering. He had a giant chin. And I said, look, it's Jay Leno. I didn't even care that I was back in the United States. Stupid. Celebrities mean everything to us, but you know who really means something to us? is our sports stars. You know what? I can make you mad. Watch. Tom Brady stinks. Afton. Mushi's going to tear me up. But when people say Jesus, we, and people use Jesus' name as a swear word, does that rile us up? Nah. No. But boy, you mock our team. Them's fighting words. You mock my God. Eh. I don't think we know what we're talking about when we say Jesus is Lord. I want you to go to a awesome, and not cool awesome, scary awesome passage in Malachi chapter 1. This is dreadful. It's dreadful. And Jared knows what I'm talking about because he's often scared by this passage. Malachi 1. In Malachi, he's talking to people who forgot who they're serving. And what they would do, they'd offer sacrifices. And when you offer sacrifices, you're supposed to give your best. So you take the first best 10% or you give your best animal. And what they were doing is they weren't offering their best animal. They were given the animals that were weak and diseased and lame and skinny and dying as their sacrifices, thinking God was really happy at least they're given a sacrifice. And so verse 1, uh, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but... You say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. And he's talking about his, how he predestined the people that he loves. And then he goes to verse 6. This is what I want you to look at real closely. This is a good Father's Day verse 2. Verse 6. A son honors his father. Okay. A servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? Meaning, if God is our father, do we really honor him as our father? And if I am a master, which means Lord, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar? But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals and sacrifices, is that not evil? He's saying, you call me Lord, but you give me garbage. Really. You give me garbage. And then he tells, tells them what kind of Lord he is. Look at verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and at every place incense will be offered to my name and pure off. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And then if you go down to verse 14, Cursed be the chief who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord when it's blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So when he says basically in verse 6, 
But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food, by giving me garbage. It's the same thing as Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord? And you don't do what I say. So, do you really believe Jesus is Lord? And before you answer, there's three ways to tell if you do. He's going to give us three metaphors, and these metaphors are basically proofs, evidences, if really he's your Lord. And in the first one, I am going to say, if Jesus is your Lord, if he's really your Lord, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to stop play acting. You're going to stop acting this thing called Christianity. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 41. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? And this is a rhetorical device. You might have heard it that actually Jesus is saying a humorous statement. He's talking to somebody saying, let's say somebody has a piece of sawdust in their eye, and you keep pointing it out, but you've got a giant log stuck in your eye. He's using a, it's a rhetorical device that is supposed to be ridiculous. To say, look how ridiculous you are when you judge your neighbor. That's what he's saying. Verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out a speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see that the log is in your eye. So it's sticking out and you keep seeing specks. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly see to take the speck that's in your brother's eye. He's saying when you judge, when you judge other people without examining yourself first, you're hypocrite. And this word hypocrite is heavy. It means you're play acting. You're putting on a mask. So I go to church. I leave church. I take off the mask. and ah, It's fake. You're fake. Jesus says in Matthew, look at this verse. He's talking about the Pharisees. He said the Pharisees are masters at it, but this is the idea of play acting. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup of the plate, but your inside, you're full of greed. Like you, you put on these nice robes, you look really good, you look really holy, but if we would examine your moral heart, oh, yuck, yuck. So when you are judging, you're acting as a hypocrite. Why is judgment acting? It's acting for two reasons. I want you to go to Romans chapter 2. I want to show you why judging other people is hypocritical. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Watch the language. Paul is very clear. He's saying, therefore, you have no excuse. He's basically saying we're all under the law. And really, if you want to put it like this, as compared to our teacher, our Lord, the ruler of the heaven and earth, you compare how we walk compared to him, we are so, so, so far. That's the point. And so in the same way, he's using the law as, you think you're doing the law? All right, all right. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. So what he's saying is when you judge, really? Or how, how are you doing in that same area compared to Jesus? 
So I think, I think we judge in a number of things. So when we look at other people, I think we judge them. I think we judge on possessions, what people own, what they buy, what they wear. We say, look at how they spend their money. Holy smokes. Greedy. And then we compare ourselves with Jesus. What did Jesus really own? What did he give? And how do we do compared to Christ? How do we do with greed? What do we hang tight to? So we get mad at people that they own things, but have you ever looked at yourself and then compare yourself with the, with the rest of the world? But see, comparison basis is always wrong because there's only one to compare to, and it's Christ. So what he's saying is before you start judging, look at yourself. You compared to Christ, come on. I think we judge on associations who, are, who their friends are. Boy, they don't make me their friend. They're always giving them friends. How are you doing? Are you being, like, for instance, have you ever met people that are always mad at you? You don't initiate? Do you, do you initiate? Do you? Jesus laid down his life for other people. He was kind to kind of the marginalized. Are you? You know, you can judge that other people always pick the great group, but kind of you do too, don't you? Do you let people, have you ever gone to the party and there's that person in the corner but nobody wants to talk to him because you know that person will talk forever so nobody wants to talk. Do you talk to him? Jesus would. See, we follow our, we follow our teacher, not other people. I think we judge people on how we uh, raise our children, how people dress their kids or what school they send them to or if they allow them to have boyfriends or if they're in sports. How do you do with your kids? I think we judge people on the freedoms that they exercise. They aren't tithing enough. They're not obedient enough. How are you doing with following Jesus? Jesus was fully dedicated to church. All the time he was in church. All the time, aren't you? Now Jesus was always dedicated to the Father. My point is simple, and I think Jesus wants you to say this. When you judge, you're lying because... That's not who you're compared to. You're compared to Christ. Stop acting. Stop acting. I think the second reason why hypocrisy is acting, it's just a sign that we're not following Jesus. We're competing with others. It's very interesting. John 21, Jesus and Peter got into it. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep three times. And then Peter says to Jesus, look at John, why aren't you going after him? And Jesus looks at Peter and says, what's that to you? You follow me. It's really you follow me. Keep your eyes on me, not other people. When you only have your eyes on other people, you're really not following him. So that's why it's hypocrisy. It's a fake. Keep your eyes on him. Second thing, true followers will start tasting good. I'll start tasting good. Like when people watch your life, oh, it'll be a sweet flavor to it. Because here's the metaphor. And it's in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. 
For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And the idea is you don't get fruit from weeds. You just don't. Weeds, bramble bushes, and thorn bushes will never give you good, tasty fruit. The good person out of the good uh, treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So when you say you're a follower, I'm loyal to Jesus, what you're basically saying, I'm connected to the vine. If you're connected to the vine, Galatians says the fruit of light is found in all that's good, right, and true. So is everything that comes out of you good, right, and true? You can ask it like this. Which comes first? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? That's a tough one. I don't know, but here's an easier one. Which comes first, the fruit or the tree? The tree. The tree always comes first. Well, you could say, well, the seed or the tree. I'm talking about the fruit, what's produced. The fruit always comes after the tree. Why does that matter? Because who you are inside is your tree. And what comes out of you is the fruit. The fruit never identifies, the fruit never produces a tree. We try to say, be a good person, do good things, work hard to show, to become a good Christian. No, you are a true Christian first, and then you do good things. The tree will always produce the fruit. I don't know why this is so hard to understand. That's Jesus' whole point. We make it so complicated. Well, you're talking about works and faith. Jesus is just talking about fruit trees. If you don't have fruit, and this is what characterizes, if you don't have fruit, it's a pretty good chance you may not be a tree. That's huge. There's a theological discussion on this, and it's called the Ordus. Go ahead, next slide. The Ordo Salutis. It's a Latin word for what is the true order of salvation? How does a person get saved? And the whole point is, in working, that means belief, boom, comes into me first, and then I will be able to produce good works. It will actually be a natural thing. Go to John 14, 23. John 14, 23. John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Some people read it like this. You want to love me? All right. If you love me, you do my word, man. You better. But it really should read like this. If anyone loves me, like truly loves me, and actually faith is the root of faith is love. The reason why the demons, they believe in God, but they don't have faith is because they don't want him. They don't love him. True faith is believing in God, but loving him. So if you love me, you will do what I say. You will. 
like the husband who always loves his wife, and she always wants him to cut the grass, but he's sitting in his chair always reading the newspaper, and she goes, honey, do the grass. And he takes his newspaper going, but you know I love you. I love you. Uh-huh. I love you so much. And he goes reads his paper again. Honey, can you, can you do what I, I got? All this huge honey-do list. He puts the paper down. I love you, though. I really love you. He reads it again. She says, I don't believe a word you say. If you love me, you'll do what I say. It's so simple. It's the ortus salutis. It's, it's not works. Making fruit first makes the tree. The tree is produced by faith, and out of that faith comes grace. Go to Galatians 5 and Here's how you can check your fruit real quick. And I want to show you the key word of this. It, actually, if you take it a step further, it's all about loyalty. I never really caught that. I don't know why. But it talks about in verse, Galatians 5 says a Christian has, they're fighting two people. This old man that is, you're trying to kill, the, your old self, and this new man that's made in the image of God through the Spirit. And it says they fight each other and you can tell which one you let really live. So verse 16 of Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. And, and uh, they're opposed to each other, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now watch verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident or obvious. You want to tell what kind of fruit's coming from an evil tree? It's really easy to Check the fruit. If you're evil, you're really, you're really hungry for illicit sex. You like porn. You just do. You want to tell that it's evil fruit? Uh, you just do impure things. Your mouth is gutter. You're always making crude jokes. Sexual jokes. Sensual. You're always about eating as much as you can, seeing things, buying things all the time. If it's an advertisement, it's what you want, you just can't stop yourself. It's a, it's a fruit, you're evil. It's a tree that you are. 20 is idolatry, where you're worshiping other things and God himself. Sorcery is really basically witchcraft, curses. Enmity is anger, just hating people, just mad all the time, mad at people. For some reason, you're just always mad. People don't do enough for you, just mad. Strife, getting in fights, you like to nitpick and cause... And then jealousy, you see what people have, you want that thing. Fits of anger, you just, things don't go your way, you just, bam, boom. These are fruits of your tree's evil. Rivalries, you're always competing. Dissensions, you're always mad at authority. Divisions, you're always pitting people against each other. Envy, you, relationships, you want somebody else's wife or something. Drunkenness, pretty clear, orgies. This is rising like around the world. You wouldn't believe the orgy. It's weird. And things like these. It says, I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you're a tree that needs to be cut down. You got bad roots. If those are your fruits. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, you don't, you don't manufacture this. It just comes out of you is love, joy, peace. You're patient, you're kind, you're kind. 
You don't answer harshly. You're kind. Even if you're irritated, you're kind. You're kind. I, do, I just I say that because there's not many kind people around. Like kind. Good, faithful, gentle. You're full of self-control. So when you see that thing you like, you're like, I can wait. I can save up. I, can, I don't need it now. Against such things, there, there is no law because you are, you're God's fruit. Now listen to verse 24 is the key. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh. Those who have taken him as their Lord, stop those evil fruits. You just die to it. The issue is belonging. Who are you loyal to? So let's go back to Luke. Luke said, not only will you stop playing games and start tasting good, you will work hard. You'll work hard. It's funny because this is the same story he tells in Matthew, but it has a different twist. You'll see what I mean. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, do not do what I tell you? He talked about that. Then it says, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them, I'll show you what he's like. He is like a man who's building a house. So a guy is building a house. And the first thing he does is he digs deep. He digs deep and he lays the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. He dug deep and it was well built. The emphasis, he tells the same story in Matthew. The emphasis in Matthew is on what foundation. Foundation is a rock. And here it talks about how the foundation was built. It was built with hard work. They dug deep, and it was built, but well built. They took their time on it. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. He didn't want to take the time. When the stream broke against it, immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. True followers of Jesus will work hard. Work hard at what? He keeps emphasizing here the word, just what Jared led us through. Listen to what Psalm 119 says. This is what we'll work hard at. I have stored up your word in my heart. It's in there. I put it in there that I might not sin against you. I've stored it up. I've stored it up because when it's in my mind and I'm in a tough jam, it, it, God's spirit talks to me directs me through it. The world will give you all kind of options to do when you're in jam, lie, cheat, steal. God will say, trust, trust me. His word always leads you to trust my character and just obey me and it will, it will work. That's what God's word always alludes to, always alludes to faith. Faith is two things. You believe he exists and that he rewards you, you who earnestly seek him. That's how his word is structured. So what it's going to do, it's going to remind you of his goodness. He's a good Lord. He's a powerful Lord. He's the Lord over the heavens and earth. And that's what scripture does. It floods you with, oh, we're not dealing with a minor little deity. We're dealing with the sovereign Lord. Yes, he's got all power. Okay. But that also reminds you that he's good. He's good. He'll reward those who earnestly seek him. And so when you're going through trials, You'll make it. This is the whole idea of Awana. Our Awana program 
It's exactly it. Go to first, 2 Timothy 2.15. Watch the language. 2 Timothy 2.15. See, I'm getting you to use your word and work hard. Turn to Unless you have one of those cheap electronic Bibles. Bad devices. I'm kidding. How are you guys doing today? My jokes are falling flat every time today. I don't understand, but those electronic devices are bad. Anyhow, 2 Timothy 2.15. Just look at the language of this verse. I think we, we kind of pass it by because we use it for our WANA program, but watch the language. 2.15. Do your best. Do your best. What does that mean? Is it just uh, if I got five minutes? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. How do I do that? Well, I need to be a worker. I need to work. All right? Work at what? Well, I need to be a worker not to be ashamed. What do I got to work at? Rightfully. Handling. The word of truth. Work hard at it. About, oh, about, uh, I'd say, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Oz Guinness. And about 16 years ago, I read a book called The Dark Side of God. And he predicted that there was going to be a time when God would hide his face, especially to the Western world, and most of the Western world would not be able to handle it. By hide his face, as he wouldn't bless them as he once did, he would kind of allow tough things to come their way, whether it be financial crisis or um, sickness or whatever. And he would say, I'm concerned for the West that they have been so living in luxury that when bad times come their way, they have never dug a deep foundation to withstand trials. And they're going to just abandon their faith. They're just going to quit. Be done. And I remember reading that 15 years ago, and I'm thinking, come on, it can't be like that. It won't be like that. But I'm seeing it. People get mad at God when things don't go their way. When things aren't happy and luxurious and there's tough times. It's called the dark side of God, and it's scary. He's saying... One of the problems with American Christianity they didn't allow you to doubt. They said, just believe. Just believe it. Don't ever ask questions. But he's saying questions are fundamental for us to dig deep. They get us to hammer at the truth. Ask any question. God can handle it. But you need to ask and look for answers so that when the rainstorm comes, and, and Luke, the assumption is it's coming. When the stream does flood, it's coming we're living in a fallen world so it's coming is your foundation deep enough to withstand it can you or are you going to be washed away i just here's for some of you that don't even have a bible plan i'll just give you a very simple one if you would like practical advice you might have heard this but again i think jared sometimes we assume people hear things that we used to hear proverbs has 31 chapters read one proverb chapter a day on the day, of the, the day of the month it is. And just keep doing it. That's very simple. Proverbs is easy. That's an easy way to start. 
to go a step further, there are 150 psalms. What I like to do is, let's say today is, well, let's say it's day one, the month of July. I'll read Psalm 1, jump 30. I'll also read 31, 61, 91, what's 121? I'm bad at math, Josh. Don't laugh at me. It's because you can do algorithms on the spin of the axis of the earth that a centripetal force fine. You laugh at me because I can't add by 30. Anyhow, so why are my jokes falling flat? Are you guys, how, do you guys have a busy day at the beach yesterday? What's happening? But I would also say this. Just read Luke. Read through it 20 times this summer. 20 times. It's easy. And it will start, what's going to happen? You'll start getting familiar with it. Familiarity is what allows it to sink into your pores. Dig deep. So I just want to finish by asking this final question. If we were to test your loyalty, so Jesus is your Lord, right? So if we were to test your loyalty, who, after we test it, would we say you belong to? And here's how you, here's how you test it. Your time. What do you spend majority of your time thinking about, running to, chewing on, longing for, doing? Your talent. What are you using your gifts for? Self, aggrandizement, making more money, or blessing others? What was it? What did I say? Talent? And in treasure. That's easy. Paul talked about that a little bit. I would even I would even put it like this. Who you're loyal to is how you see yourself. It's your identity. Who you're loyal to is how you see yourself. It's interesting. I've known some people that are married, but they still see themselves as their father's daughter. So when their dad has a crisis, they run to him before they run to the needs of their spouse because they're still their father's daughter more than they're, they're a wife. They're a wife, but they're more a daughter first. Or are you a sports fan before you're a Christian? The way I can tell that is your sports always preempt any kind of thing going on in the community of believers. Are you a, are you a runner before anything else? Some people are runners before. Any, when they have extra money, they get that sweatsuit or those new shoes they're always hoping for. What are you? Are you a, um, a dietitian? What do, what do you first, what you're loyal to, what you belong to, is what your identity's in, really. How do you identify yourself? It's a huge one to ask. Is your identity as a bondservant of Christ primary? Because that's what you're saying when you call him Lord. Those are things to check out. Think about it. So stop play acting. Start tasting good. Be kind. Work hard. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that um, this simple little sermon will um, touch hearts, be applied, and will be different. I... Uh, Again, I just want to end with praying for Ken and Rhonda one more time. 
I really pray it will be a great blessing for them. And thank you, God, for fathers. I thank you for the memory of my dad. And what an example of all three of these things he was to me. May, our, may the dads in here and the moms in here, may they stop play acting. May they start tasting good. And may they start working hard at loving you. We love you, Father, in Christ's name.